Here we are. We're in the beginning of our third message of this series called Desire Wisdom. And I guess my opening question has to be something like this. Where are you at so far with your understanding of your lack of wisdom? (laughs) I mean, the first couple of messages, I know, uh, we set it all up. It was kind of foundational, um, and it was designed really to prove to us, to show to us that we have lost contact with wisdom and that there's a big difference between the wisdom in this world and the wisdom from above, the wisdom under the sun that Solomon told us so much about in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the wisdom from above, godly wisdom. And so our heart and desire is, is for all of us as a church, is that we, we humble ourselves and we realize that we all lack wisdom, and that we need daily replenishing of wisdom, and we need to ask God for it. It's an amazing thing. So uh, if you aren't there yet, by the way, uh, with the understanding of how much you and I and we all lack wisdom, um, you will be. (laughs) As life goes on, let me tell you, as a person who has a little bit of experience, you eventually will be. You will, if you haven't already, despite how smart you and I think we can be or are, you will make bad decisions. You're going to make bad decisions. It's not always bad that we make bad decisions, but many bad decisions can be avoided. You may make bad decisions like dating the person you should never have dated, which could result in you actually marrying the person who you should not have married. Listen, there's a reason why I say that. That's not to scare people, but the reality is is that in our day and age today, something like 58% of first marriages in Canada end in divorce. It's not much better for Christians anymore. So it's a serious point. It's a reality. And the reality is is that we make bad decisions. You could also uh, make bad decisions about taking the job that is before you, right? That you shouldn't have. Going into debt for the new whatever that you shouldn't have purchased. Bad decisions. And if you haven't done them, you probably will. Going to the college that you never should have considered. Moving to that place that you should never have considered moving to. And by the way, some of you are going to be shocked I'm going to say that. Say this. It could be Squamish. It could have been Squamish. So these bad decisions, listen, they don't lead to wisdom. But in fact, they can, they have the potential, one bad decision at a time, to lead to a train wreck, to lead to brokenness in our lives. Come on. They can. If that hasn't happened in your life, if that isn't actually the path that you're on, you know someone who's been down that road. There's good news. (laughs) There's good news. The good news is we're all broken. We've all made bad decisions. We've all, if not already, or have the potential to make a train wreck out of our lives if we lack wisdom. And we all do. And, of course, the good news is is that we can have the wisdom of God. We can have it. It's readily available to us. And James, the stepbrother of Jesus... As we know, one of our key verses for this series, which we'll continue to come back to, he said this in James chapter 1, verse 5, and you all know it, hopefully by memory now, if any of you lacks wisdom, that's a rhetorical question, by the way. It's a rhetorical statement. Of course we do. Pray. Ask God every day when you get up to give you wisdom, enough wisdom for this day, for the events that you know that you're going to be involved in and those that you don't know are going to come your way. Pray for that wisdom. And yes, start there. Start there. And as we conclude today, I'm going to show you one other way, one other thing that's essential if you want to grow in your maturity, if you want to grow in wisdom, besides praying. You've got to start with this 
but besides praying. So Solomon is a man uh, that we've already been talking about quite a bit. We're probably going to come back to him uh, throughout this series pretty much every week, some aspect of it, because he is the greatest man ever when it comes to wisdom that God imparted to wisdom. We're going to even see that in his word today. And so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open them to 1 Kings. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, it's the 11th book in. So start at the beginning of your Bible and you go 11 books in, and you're going to come to 1 Kings. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 16 to 28. And so today I want to take us back. I want to take us back to the days before Solomon went on that unfortunate 40-year uh, experience that, where he went out and he said, you know what, I, I, okay, great that I've had all this wisdom, but you know what, I'm, I'm going to test it. I'm going to see if the wisdom from above, from God, is really the best thing. It's kind of like buying the lie that we all bought out of the garden. And I'm going to go on this, this journey to use my, my, my wisdom, my earthly wisdom, under the sun wisdom, and my money and my power to see if there is such a thing as joy, happiness, and success in this life under the sun apart from God. Well, the beauty is, is that uh, late in his teens, actually late in his teens, 18, 19 years of age, he's actually a very devout Jewish boy. Uh, he, he makes sacrifices to the Lord in high places, we read. One day he's in Gibeon making sacrifices to God. And, and in a vision, he actually hears God. Now, he's around 19, 20 years of age at this time. He actually hears the voice of God say this to him. Ask me what I shall give you. Ask me what I shall give you. And so th- then with great humility... Uh, Solomon actually, as a young man, which is amazing to me, he confesses that he lacks wisdom, that he lacks knowledge and understanding. He actually confesses that he doesn't know which way is up and which way is down, whether this way is right or that way is wrong. Very humble and good for a young man to have that type of attitude. And then he asks for this. He says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? Now, come on. Think about it. I I have a 22-year-old son. (laughs) Think about it. What an awesome thing for a young man who was following in the footsteps by following the statutes and laws and commands of his father, King David, and, of course, his God. But what an amazing attitude for a young man to have at that age, that all of our young men and women would have that attitude, right? Right? that you and I would have had that attitude, and if not in our early life, then today. And so God is very pleased, we read, with what Solomon has asked for, and, and not, he didn't ask for things like riches, I mean, he could have, it's like, this is like the pinata, like this is genie time, right? Whatever you want, ask me for it. And he doesn't ask for riches, fame, length of life, but then God responds in verse 12 and says, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise And discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and listen, none like you shall arise after you. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. But God doesn't stop there. If you keep reading in this passage, you're going to see that God doesn't stop there. God actually gives to him what he didn't ask for. Now, that's a blessing, but we also want to see that it didn't turn out that way. Solomon. He he gives him uh, riches and makes him the most honored man of his day. And finally, listen to this, he offers him length of life, but with a caveat. 
And the caveat to the length of life for him is that he walks in his statutes and, statutes and commandments like his father David did. Well, then we arrive at the story, beginning in verse 16 of chapter 3, and I'm going to read it for you. Can you read along with me if you have your Bibles with you? Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house. And I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. Then on the third day after I gave birth, this woman also gave birth. And we were alone. There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. And then she arose at midnight and took my son from beside me while your servant slept and laid him at her breast and laid her dead son at my breast. When I arose in the morning to nurse my child, behold, I was, he was dead. But when I looked at him closely in the morning, behold, he was not the child that I had born. But the other woman said, no, the living child is mine and the dead child is yours. The first said, no, the dead child is yours and the living child is mine. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, this is my son that is alive, and your son is dead. And the other says, no, but your son is dead, and my son is the living one. And the king said, bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So a sword was brought before the king, and the king said, divide the living child in two, and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose son was alive said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, give her the living child. And by no means put him to death. But the other woman said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Then the king answered and said, Give the living child to the first woman, and by no means put him to death. She is the mother. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Now, come on. That's quite the story, isn't it? That, he's 20 years of age. He's just been given the wisdom of God. He, he's also been bestowed with riches and fame. The people, as we read at the end of this passage, are in awe of him and love him because of how wise he is, right? But, but this story is the first thing that happens as he's anointed king and given all this wisdom? Really? I mean, come on. It's no wonder people in our world, people in the culture who are not Christian, who are skeptic or atheistic in their beliefs, they look at the Bible and they go, see, th th there's something wrong there. <laughs> like, what would it, you people, you, you believe in a God that would actually, you know, quote stories like this, and what is that doing there? What is that story doing in, in the Bible? It's crazy, isn't it? And so, listen, I, I want to suggest something to you today. Uh, we could scratch our heads. We could look at this and go, okay. <laughs> yeah, some of the stories in the Bible are really, really odd. We don't really know what it's really all about. But here's the deal. The bottom line is, is that this is God's story. There's so much in this story, we're barely going to scratch the surface this morning as we look at it, but there's so much in here about the ark of God, the grand story of God, it's incredible. Every story is a God story. History is 
his story. That's where we get the word from. And so I, I just want to, like with you, probably look at this and go, why is the story of potentially chopping a baby in two in the Bible? Well, the good news is obviously it didn't happen, but there's much more going on here. So I want to look at three things with you today, three points that I hope we'll see from this passage that, that bring us closer to understanding how we get wisdom and what it's for. Not only in our lives, but in this world today. So three things. Look at three things. Number one, when we need wisdom most. This is important. We need to know, like in every circumstance, do I need wisdom to know where to go for lunch today? Not really. Not really. It's just a choice, something I can do, you can do. But so when? When do we need to know that we need wisdom from above, from God, most? Secondly, the heart of wisdom. We're going to dive in this morning and see in this story the heart of wisdom, the heart behind wisdom, which is really awesome. And then thirdly, we'll see true wisdom revealed. So number one, when we need wisdom most. Look at the first verse again. Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. So I think it's possible for us to overthink some things, but it's even more so we underestimate certain things situations. So the first thing we need to understand about our need for wisdom is the when. When are or what are the circumstances when we need it most? Here in this verse, we see one example. We see one example of when we need wisdom most. And it is when two came before and stood before the king. When we have to choose between one thing or the other, one thing over the other, or even more critically, when we are faced with a choice between two paths. This is the first when. When you and I are faced with a choice between two paths. So what will it be? Will I go to this university, to this college, or to this one? Will I date this person or not date this person? You see, it can be about doing something or not doing something, but it could be about, well, should I date this person or this person, right? Or or should I buy this used beat-up thing that I can afford or buy this thing that's going to take me into amazing debt but it's going to look good when I drive down the street? You know, which one of these things, when I'm faced with these type of choices, it's about the when, When you can know you're at the point in your life when you need wisdom most, when the choice is one of two paths. And I really like that picture about two paths rather than some people call it a fork in the road, right? And one reason is this. One reason is this. If you've ever taken the wrong path, the truth is as you get to the end of the path, right, and and, and you get to what is possibly a dead end or to a train wreck, it's not possible actually at that point to just hop over to a brand new path. I mean, we think it is. We think the way the world thinks that, hey, listen, if it doesn't work out, no problem. Choose a new path. Actually, no. The reality is, is when you hit the dead end or the train wreck of that particular situation, you usually got to backpedal a fair bit. You usually got to come back a little bit because things have gotten messed up. Things are broken. And so you got to back up and come back to the point where the two roads diverged first before you can start again. In other words, you will have some damage that you will need to be have repaired, and you will also, listen, have wasted a lot of time in your life. And again, most people say, hey, listen, what's the big deal? 
You know, it's, it's a life, you know, we make mistakes, uh, it's good, I can just start over. Hey, if you've been there, and I have, if you've been there and you've made these mistakes, there's costs. And again, there's good news, come on, there's good news, we've all made this. And so that's the first thing. The first thing is when faced with a choice between two paths. So just an aside, let me also say this. I would suggest to you today, we in this culture, today, every one of us in this room, especially if you're between the ages of 15 and and 30, you need wisdom more in this day and age. We need wisdom more in this day and age than any other generation ever. Why? Choices. So many more choices. It used to be a day when people made choices for us. My dad, when I was 18 years of age, and well, actually 19, and went to university for two weeks and said, nah, I don't really want to do that anymore. I think I, my dad said, well, then you're getting a job. <laughs> and, and he actually found the job for me, the first job I ever had outside of the home. And he said, and you're going to pay rent. There's a little tip for some of you here who've got kids coming home. That's what you might want to do. There's choices today, though. There's no longer, by the way, in our culture today, anything like male and female, is there? I mean, there's a plethora of choices. And so we need wisdom, I would suggest, today more than ever in history. Another reason why I believe the two-pass picture is appropriate, very appropriate, is because it reminds me and should remind you of the words of Jesus in Matthew 7. He said this. He said, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy, that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard, that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Now, of course, Jesus is speaking about the way of salvation, right? And how many will be saved and how many won't be saved. Of course he is. But the wisdom is here. It's, it's beautiful. You will find that when you are faced with choices of two paths, the wisdom of the world is always the wide road. The wisdom of the world is always the wide road. Everybody's sleeping with their boyfriend, wide road, <laughs> right? The narrow gate are the few who follow the wisdom from above and save that for marriage. Here's a little, just a little test you can, I think you can use pretty faithfully, pretty much all the time. And that is this. If the majority of people are saying this way and going that way, it's probably the wrong way. Probably the wrong way. So that's number one. When faced with two paths, the choice between two paths is a big win. There's a second. See, we hear, again here, we have two women who are brought before the king who is the judge And this gives our second clue to the when we need wisdom most. It's when the rules are no longer clear. Now, you remember from the story as I read it, uh, when they arrived before Solomon, uh, they tell us, they tell him, there there were no eyewitnesses. There 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 was no exhibit A and exhibit B in testimony, right? There was no evidence, per se, for him to weigh. In fact, in verse 18, the, the one woman says, and we were alone... There was no one else with us in the house. Only we two were in the house. So he's kind of stuck. <laughs> there's no way to judge us. And the other thing is this. In addition, there's, there's kind of no precedent been set. 
I mean, in our courts today, judges rely on a number of things. Number one, the adversarial system of prosecution and events. Someone getting up and, and, and saying, they did it, and here's why. And then the defender saying, no, we didn't, no, we didn't, and here's why. So there's that. But, but also, there's witnesses, evidence, and precedents to help them rule. Well, Solomon had none of these. What he needed, the only thing he could use to help solve this problem was wisdom from above. And it's always in situations where we have none of these as well. Sometimes it's in situations where it's going to be a total blind faith thing, right? I'm just going to believe, even if this is the wrong choice and decision, God's going to work it out. Be careful. Be very careful. For example, look at this. Notice it's two prostitutes. So, so Solomon doesn't even have the situation where he could look at this and he can go, okay, well, okay, well one woman's wealthy and, and the other woman's not. And, and one woman's a prostitute and the other woman's a well-respected woman in, in the community. They just happen to be in the same house. And so, I mean, obviously, I can't figure this out, but this child would be better with her than her. Story has been structured in such a way, true story, so that that's been taken off the table as well. So Solomon has to fully rely on only one thing, wisdom from above, from God's wisdom. He's got nothing else to rely on. And quite frankly, the same applies to you and I when we get to these points in our lives, when we get to a path where there's a choice just between two paths, and when we get to this point where the rules no longer are clear, no longer clear. Many of the decisions that you and I will have to make are oftentimes equal in the court of popular opinion, right? Here's what we do. I've been doing that. I did this for many times in my life, and it's a bad thing to do, but we all do it, right? The, the popular opinion, we ask a bunch of people, what do you think? What do you think? But here, the bottom line is, behind it all, you and I know what we want to do, right? It's, it's, and it's how many of you have ever used the spreadsheet model or the, the pros and the cons model? You take a piece of paper, pro, con, down the middle. And, and, and then you start writing that. What's, what's the pro or the good reasons for making this decision, and, and what are the bad? Have you ever noticed when you do that? Let's say it's about buying a house or buying a vehicle and going into debt for it or moving here or going. And, and have you ever noticed that when it comes to the cons, they're, especially if you really want this thing, they're kind of small? And then the pros, oh, lots of good things. Lots of good things. I'll tell you one thing about that sheet. The most important, if you're going to do that, it's not a bad idea. It's a good idea, really, for evaluation. But show it to somebody who's wise and ask them for their opinion. Just a thought. You may want to go there and actually try that. So wisdom is needed when there are two choices or paths and when the usual way of the world isn't helpful, which is usually the case. See what I did there? Usually the case. Number two, the heart of wisdom. This is great. I love this part about this passage. Look at the way this passage is bookended. A lot of times if you read the parables of Jesus, which we're going to see in this series, they're bookended. The beginning verse and the end verse, there's a bookend that tells us something about the whole story. So look at how this is bookended again. Verse 16 says this, Then two prostitutes came to the king and stood before him. And then verse 28, and all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of him, the king, because they perceived that, look, the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. And so, look, the focal point of this story is not the women. 
We don't know their names. It's not the women. It's not the baby. The focal point of the story is the king. He's the focal point of the story. And in ancient Israel, in the known world of that time, the king was not only the judge, more importantly, he was the one who possessed wisdom, or at least the people in the kingdom hoped he did. They hoped that he was the one who had wisdom. He was the one who you went to for wisdom when you needed it most. So these two women were directed, or they asked to be directed to Solomon to solve their problem, because he would be the one who would have the wisdom. So we know that in Solomon's case, he was given the wisdom from God, but there was the assumption, even in the pagan world that, of that day, most pagans and even some Jews worshipped their kings as gods. And most kings and their people worshipped many gods. The idea was you needed to appease your god, your king, in order to have a happy life. And in this story, the people of this kingdom recognized this. In this story, in verse 28, we see it. These people recognized that the king had the wisdom of the God. Definite articles are really important in these verses. Because that's what the people were actually seeing. So now we need to have a, a little bit of a deeper look at the idea of these kings, right? In that day and age, in that day and age especially, the king was the ultimate authority. What, what the king said happened. When the king said, off with your head, it was off with your head. And, and the penalties for disobeying the king and the authority of the king were severe. There were blessings. He would look after you and care for you, but the, pun the punishment was severe. You had no choice but to bow your knee and to submit to his rule over your life. Well, of course, today, thank goodness, we're much more civilized. We, we don't have kings like that today, do we? at least like this. No. But, just like the pagan in that day, we have a plethora of kings that we are willingly bowing down to every day. You know that we often talk in this church about idols in our world that are, and basically what they are, we define them this way, good things that we make into an ultimate thing. Oftentimes, idols are good things, is sex a good thing? Yeah, it is. Is it made into an idol in our culture? Absolutely. Is money a good thing? Yes, it is. Is it an idol in our culture? Yes, it is. It's an idol in our culture. Well, another way of looking at idols I want to suggest in the story is that they're kings. They have power. They have authority. And we willingly submit to them, right? We willingly submit to them. So now, what we have learned about the king in this story is this. Wisdom comes from the king. It comes directly from the king in this story. The good news is that in that day and this story, if the king's wisdom was from the God, then it would go well for you. Well, it did for one of the women in the story, right? But not so much for the other. It literally, listen, it literally emanates from those things we bow down to, our kings. That's the point that this story wants to get across to us, is that Wisdom emanates from those things that we give authority to in our lives. And in this story, it's the king. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.14 something that should challenge us today in the church. He says this. He says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? 
Now, we know that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, um, and most people interpret this today to say, well, don't be unequally yoked in marriage or in partnerships, in business or any other relationship, if you're a Christian. But I think there's something much deeper in this verse, and it relates a lot to our story today, and it's this. He's actually appealing to a people, the church in Corinth, which is in that day the capital of idolatry in the known world. <laughs> and, and, and look at the twos. Look at the parallels. Look at the twos that are in this verse. It's amazing. There is believer and unbeliever. We see the word unbeliever, but he's writing to believers. There, is, there are the words righteous and lawless. There are the words light and darkness. So look, the Bible, you know this, kids, we know this from Sunday school, right? The Bible teaches us that unless you and I are yoked to Jesus Christ as our king, we are in danger of being yoked to any number of kings. We're in danger, not just in danger, we'll be tempted to be yoked to any number of kings. So here's the king. Whatever you make a king in your life, whatever I make a king in my life, you will bow down to its version of wisdom. And therefore... It will be your fount of wisdom. It will be that ledger, the pros and cons thing. I mean, take wealth or money as a good example. If, if wealth or money is your king, then there is a worldly wisdom that it has to offer you as its king, and you will be forced in various ways to, to choose between two things or two paths when it comes to the wisdom of wealth and money. If wealth or money is your king, you might choose a job. Listen, you might choose a job that pays way, 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 way more money, which, of course, who wouldn't? That's, that's the wisest thing to do, isn't it? Over one that is actually better suited to your gifts, your talents, and your actual needs, right? You may choose between the honest and ethical thing or ah, if I cut this corner to make this deal, I make more money. <laughs> I make the company richer. It's a good thing, right? Two paths. Choices will be there. You, it, it will, listen, do I work 12 to 14 hours a day so I make more money six days a week and sacrifice my wife and my kids and my church? Two paths. It, it has a wisdom. It has a, it has a demand on us because we place ourselves under its authority. The list of kings and idols available today is unending, and that's because, as Tim Keller has popularly said, our hearts are idol factories. Our hearts are king factories. Whether comfort, materialism, pleasure, sports, self, science, the list, knowledge, the list goes on, right? Of the kings that we can put ourselves under in this world today. Whatever false idol, whatever king that you bow your knee to Instead of Jesus Christ, that idol, listen to me, listen to me, that idol will eventually fail you. Brokenness, train wreck, got to turn around. Good news, King Jesus never fails. He forgives. He never fails. And, and when your idol does this, your relationships will have, if they haven't already, be ruined and worse. You'll find yourself so far down the wrong path that it may feel to you like there's no way back. I have really messed this up. I am, I'm worthless. And the next thing that you will be applying yourself to or applying to you is you'll medicate. We need alcohol. We need drugs. We need food. We need sex. All of which may result in your life becoming, yes, a train wreck. 
There are two paths. There are two ways. Anybody need wisdom? Anybody need wisdom? Yeah, we do. So there's another thing that we learned last week about the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God, and it's about how it is manifested in our conduct. Essentially, it reveals our hearts. Either we will be bitter, jealous, and selfish, or we will be meek, humble, and people who bring peace. So look at these verses from our story. Let's see how what they reveal to us about the hearts of these two women. Remember, they've both pled their side of the case, right, the story. One is lying, the other's not lying. Solomon, full of wisdom, says, bring me a sword, let's chop the kid in two, that'll settle the problem, right? And then in verse 26, this one woman says, look at this. Then the woman, whose son was alive, said to the king, because her heart yearned for her son, oh, my Lord, Give her the living child, and by no means put him to death. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. Well, Solomon's tactic, his wise tactic, kind of worked well, didn't it? Showing the key to how wisdom works. It reveals, listen, it reveals not only the heart of both women, it reveals the heart of wisdom. It reveals the heart of wisdom, what the goal of it is. The wisdom that God has given to Solomon seeks what is true, what is pure, what is meek, what is humble and righteous. The wisdom of the world always seeks self, ambition, pride, and jealousy. So look at the heart of the true mother. Look at her heart, right? Look at what happens here. Her heart yearns. The the literal uh, word there in the Hebrew means it burns. It's hot for her child. No kidding. But look at her action. It's the most beautiful part. She's willing, look at this, to sacrifice what is hers, rightfully and truthfully hers. She's willing to let it go. She's willing to humble herself. She's willing to get low, to give up what is rightly for hers for the sake of and out of the love purely for her son. I want to meet this woman one day because she is awesome. She's awesome. The wisdom from above reveals the truth. And look at this. Because of the wisdom from above, she's lifted up. She was willing to let it go, give it all up. She was willing to say, I I don't need my child. I don't need wealth. I don't need a husband. I don't need a bigger house. I don't need to live anywhere more beautiful than where I'm living now. She's lifted up by the king. And he says... Give the living child to the first woman and by no means put to death, him to death. She is the mother. Well, how does this turn out for the other woman? Since her king is, obviously, look, her king is herself. Maybe her king is the idea of being a mother and this has been taken from her. And, and, and the result is she, she, she can't be happy that another woman has a child. She can't be happy because she has lost something. And she can't be happy. Instead, she's full of bitterness, jealousy, selfish ambition. What does it get her? What does it get her in the end? She loses everything. We don't know how her life goes from there, but you, you, you got to... This is a court of public opinion. The king wasn't the only one there. Everyone, everyone now knows she's a liar. It's a train wreck. 
This is what, quite frankly, confounds the wisdom of the world, isn't it? The way, up, the way up in the world is this. The way up in the world is to strive, to go for it, carpe diem, seize the day, take it. The strong will persevere and win. That's the wisdom of this world, right? It is. It's the wisdom of the world. God's wisdom is always the polar opposite. Go low, humble yourself. The way of God's economy is always down. It's always down. It's, it's always, no, no. The last shall be first, right? Humble yourself. So point number three, we'll end with this, is true wisdom revealed. Look at verse 28 one more time. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. The words that I want to highlight as we close here this morning is, wisdom was in him. So what was it? Just all of a sudden he got he smartened up, he figured these things out, or was some kind of ethereal force. Who's in you, Christian? Who's in you today? Holy Spirit's in you, is he not? Is Christ in you? Yes, he is. He's in you. He's in him. So why is this crazy story here? It's not just a story. It's the story of God in 12 verses. It's the story of God right here. It's the story of God and the the, the 1,000 years before the birth of his son, the better and the perfect Solomon. This story is obviously then about who? It's about King Jesus. Hmm. This story is about King Jesus. 1 Corinthians um, 1 tells us that he is the wisdom of God. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, you remember how that ends in Matthew chapter 7? Jesus has been preaching about the kingdom. He's come and establishing his kingdom. He's telling them what the characteristics of those who possess the kingdom will be. Humble, poor in spirit, meek, loving, right? And then, and then the whole story ends in Matthew chapter 7 in verses 28 and 29 with this. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. That word is powerful in the Greek. It's the authority of wisdom from above. So listen, Solomon at the end of the day clearly had wisdom from above, and this is one really good example of him using it. It's a, he's 20, 21 years of age. It's an awesome example of him using the wisdom that God gave to him. But sadly, at some point in his life, he grew to love God's blessings more than God himself, more than the wisdom from God. He, he, his life began to revolve around his wealth, his pleasure, his success, and the adoration that people had for him. He started reading his own press clippings. Look, aren't I awesome? He elevated his earthly wisdom above godly wisdom. Solomon forgot that the wisdom of God that answers every need and gives us true perspective on life and his deepest needs, he forgot about it. He set it aside. He neglected it. Be careful. The things of this world are very attractive. So be careful. There's an Old Testament scholar. His name is Gerhard von Rad. And he once wrote that wisdom means this. Becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Let me quote that for you again. Becoming competent with the regard to the realities of life. In other words, how things happen, how things really are, and what to do about it. 
Now, competency is a great word. It's a really interesting word. But in our world today, because of uh, relativism and because of the fact that everyone who participates gets a badge, right, it's, it's been diminished of what that word means. The word today is kind of like, well, it's like if you're a guitar player or a piano player, it means, well, that you're, you, you can play well enough to get by. That, that's actually not the true definition of the word. The true definition of the word is mastery. It, it's about mastery. And you don't get that to that level, by the way, through the school of hard knocks. The only way there to mastery is first believing and acknowledging that there is something called perfection. Not that we can ever attain to it in human terms. That's A. And B, that you need determination, hard work, and perseverance to become competent. So friends, today, listen, if you and I want to become competent to master life's big decisions, then the solution should be obvious. It should be obvious. We need to go to the master who is the king of kings and lord of lords, who's given his spirit to us. He's the one, by the way, when the sword of God's judgment hung over you and I, he said this, chop me in two, sacrifice me, not her, not him. He's the one who said that. He's the one who humbled himself, became like you and I, and then what was the result? Lifted you and I up. Not that we deserved it, but that's who he is. So finally, as I promised earlier, besides James 1.5, praying and asking for the Lord's wisdom every day and in every circumstances, you and I need one more thing in order to master, to be competent in wisdom in our lives. You're never going to guess what it is. Each other. It's the story of God. It's the way he has planned this, that we would live and be in community together. Look, read the book of Proverbs. We're going to go there over the next few weeks. When you read the book of Proverbs, you're going to see this. You'll be struck by how often growth in wisdom only and regularly occurs in community, in fellowship with other people seeking wisdom together. We all need community not only to nurture us, but actually to help transform us when it comes to learning and applying biblical wisdom to our lives and ministries. So my encouragement to you today is, listen, my encouragement to everyone in this room, I know most of you are, but not all of you, join a community group, get and give wisdom to each other, and listen, watch our church fulfill Ephesians 4.13, which says this, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Robert Frost wrote a beautiful poem. It's called The Road Less Taken, or Road Not Taken, pardon me. I don't know if you remember the poem, but he starts off in the first stanza by standing at two roads that diverge in a wood. The amazing thing about that poem is that he stands at that place in the wood And he looks carefully down one path, really carefully down the one. And then he looks down the other, applies a little bit of wisdom, and he chose the road not taken. The last stanza of his poem goes like this. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Some ages and ages hence, maybe when I'm old and wise. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Pray with me, would you?